Oh, hooray. It's time for another visit to our favorite website, Everyday Feminism. Yeah, the site where the soul-crushing, misery-inducing, truth-destroying philosophy of feminism is not just for those days when you're tired of living a happy life, but for every day, every single day. Oh, hooray. Today on Everyday Feminism, we find a post entitled, and I'm not making this up, that's the beauty of everyday feminism. I never have to make anything up. The post is entitled, Beware These Ten Types of Feminist Men. This post begins, quote, Never is a man so potentially dangerous to a female red person as when he claims to be a feminist, unquote. Now, already some of you may be asking yourself, what does a female red person mean? Why can't they just speak English? And of course, the answer is that English is a language and is therefore used to describe things that exist in the real world and so has no place in feminism. Anyway, back to the post. Beware of something, I hate you, something, something. Anyway, here are some selections of evil men women have to be afraid of this month. Beware male feminists who seek to control your sexuality. These are feminist men who, quote, learn words like liberation and body positive and sexual agency and use them to guilt you into sex, unquote. Feminists, here's a friendly pro tip. The category of feminist men just pretending to be feminist in order to get sex includes approximately 100% of feminist men. But according to everyday feminism, you should also beware male feminists who believe they have a right to your appearance. These are men who, quote, don't like your red lipstick because it's not feminist. Or question how you use mascara or eyelashes or a razor on your legs, unquote. You might also want to beware those men who actually demonstrate to you how to use lipstick and mascara, especially if they then have conversations with themselves while pretending to be their own mothers. Another horrific sort of man for you to be afraid of are male feminists who set up womanhood as a competition. These are men who tell you you're so much more clever, more mature, or more enlightened than other girls they've dated. If you're reading this article and taking it seriously, trust me, you're not that clever, and these men are lying to you. Or maybe they've just never dated anyone else, because they're feminist men. One more, and so help me, I'm still not making this up. Beware male feminists who invalidate your queer identity. These are men who demand to be present in your queer spaces. Obviously, this is so they can watch as two smoking hot babes indulge in hot lesbian action for their entertainment. If you are dating one of these men, it's possible you're actually a porn site. The article goes on, but really, I could have saved everyday feminism a lot of trouble. Women should beware all men who say they're feminists because they're either lying to get into your pants or they're idiots who believe the nonsense you've been spouting. And let's face it, even you aren't stupid enough to believe that. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. It's like everyday, everyday feminism is where I go when I'm just lazy. I'm too lazy to write my own opening. <laughs> All right, we're back. We're on the brink. This is it. These weeks go by so fast. We are on the brink of the Clavenless weekend. So we have to cling to every moment of Clavenly goodness that we can and strengthen our minds and gird our loins, whatever gird and loins mean. <laughs> Whatever it is, we're going to do it today. We're on Facebook for 15 minutes and YouTube. What happens? Do they cut off on YouTube too? You, yeah. you can't say, oh, so after 15 minutes, you got to come to the Daily Wire. You can download us on iTunes or SoundCloud. 
and then you can subscribe and see the entire show. Yesterday we had a great mailbag. I answered a couple of terrific questions. The answers were just incredibly incisive and brilliant and opened up whole new worlds of understanding to our listeners. But you can't be in it if you don't subscribe. So get your, unclasp your lousy hands off your lousy eight bucks and send us some money so we can do our jobs. All right, I'm going to talk about uh, this election in, con in the context of what's actually happening in the world because I started to do this yesterday, but the mailbag does take a, a certain amount of time. And I wanted to get into more detail and talk about, I want to talk about the ways in which the world is so falsely represented, even when we're by the fact that we're talking about the election. Dana Perino, who uh, hosts the co-hosts the Five on Fox, was on some other Fox show yesterday, and she, of course, used to be George W. Bush's press secretary and has a lot of experience in how the media work. And she was she used she said the media will follow process before it follows substance, which is technical language, meaning basically they'll talk about what's going on in the election, the sort of meta story of the election, before they'll talk about what these two people represent and what they might do as president. And so they'll talk about gaffes. I mean, I love gaffes. Gaffes are, gaffes are so absurd because if you are on TV 24-7, as these people are, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to say things that can be taken out of context. And it's, it's all about what you take out of context and how big a deal you make out of it and who you can find to go on air. All of that stuff matters not at all compared to the fact that people are going to get into office and do certain things, and they are certain people. And so yesterday there was this big shakeup. Of course, Steve Bannon from the Breitbart sites took over uh, Trump's campaign. And this made a lot of news, and we were especially interested in here because Shapiro has been virtually at war with Bannon. Dana Lash and Glenn Beck also came out talking about what a terrible guy he is and uh, how he's really, he, you know, he's taken this Breitbart site. And, I, you know, I, I won't, I'm not bragging when I say we were, I was friends with uh, Andrew Breitbart. We were all friends with Andrew Breitbart. He was kind of the hub that all brought us together. I mean, you can't really find two conservatives, especially in L.A., who didn't in some way meet each other through Andrew. And he, it was this incredible generosity. He had this incredibly expansive personality, and he would bring us all together. And I remember uh, when Andrew tragically died very young. I was sitting in an airport at like 3 in the morning when I got the news. I was actually flying to New York to do Glenn Beck's show. And I was sitting there in, this, in the airport lounge, and I got the news. And I remember the first words that went through my mind were, oh, no, maybe God is not on our side, <laughs> you know, because, because I thought we've really lost this central guy. And since then, Bannon has come in, and he's taken the Breitbart sites, and he has turned them into what is now called the Trump Bart sites. They're Trump's Pravda, basically. They just uh, sell this stuff. A lot of anti-Semitism on there, a lot of this alt-right garbage that comes out. And, you know, I, I don't... Nobody speaks for Andrew. Andrew is gone. We can't know what he would have made of Trump. I suspect he would have been entertained by Trump, but also hated him as the bully that he sometimes is. He hated bullies. But the point is that these Breitbart sites are no longer Breitbart sites. And every time I hear Andrew's name being used, this Breitbart said, Breitbart said this, it is painful. And Bannon did that. So now Bannon is coming into this election. And what does it mean? It means, I think, that Trump will be more Trump. Uh, obviously, Paul Manafort, the guy he is replacing, though they say he's not, but he obviously is, Manafort was trying to build Trump into a presentable candidate. And I think that wasn't working because Trump can only be who he is. And Trump himself has said, you know, uh, he says everyone talks about, oh, you've got to pivot. 
this is, he said this on Wisconsin TV Tuesday, he says, I don't want to pivot. I don't want to change. You have to be you. If you start pivoting, you're not being honest with people. And I think he's making a perfectly good point. I think Donald Trump should be Donald Trump. You asked for him, you got him. You know, so let him be who he is. <clears throat> and he's not finished yet. The polls look very, very bad for him. Although there was one guy on TV, I loved this yesterday. You know, Hillary, Hillary is being is being very sound is very soundly telling her voters not to stop fighting. Obama is saying this too. This election could turn around, and I'll get back to why in a minute. And so Hillary is out there. She made a speech uh, just a day ago where she told people, you know, don't get complacent. So don't be complacent, my friends, because. Even though we're doing fine right now, I'm not taking anybody anywhere for granted. We're going to work hard these next 85 days, and I can't do it without your help. Okay, so she's not, ta- she's not complacent, but on the Trump side, where all the polls say she's bad, Michael Cohen, a Trump spokesman, goes on CNN yesterday, and the news lady asks this question. You guys are down, and it makes Says sense who? that there would... Says who? Most of them. All of them? Says who? Polls. I just told you. I answered your question. Okay. Which polls? All of them. Okay. And your question is? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the Trump camp. They're just like planted right in the center of reality, you know? So so Trump is going to be more Trump, and that means he's going to be more belligerent, and he's going to be more bullying, more nicknames, um, you know, more going shooting at the hip, and Putin is a great guy, and what if, wouldn't it be great if we could work together with Putin, because we're working together with him pretty well right now. So this has created this surreal situation, which I've talked about, I talked about this during the primaries, that this was going to happen, in which the media, which has now gone completely insane is going to be attacking Trump and totally lying about him while at the same time totally telling the truth. I mean, it's a, it really is surreal. Ann Coulter wrote this column last week where she talked, she said that Trump is being media raped and, and, and always, you know, restrained in her language and, you know, always speaking. <laughs> Let me just read you a piece of this because it really is good. She's always a wonderful writer. And, and Anne has been on the Trump train from way before anyone else. I mean, she said he was going to be the next president years, a year before the primary started. Even having predicted that the media's attacks on Trump would be unprecedented, I'm still amazed. Every single news outlet is dedicated to hysterically denouncing Trump every minute of every day while cooing at Hillary. Everything Hillary has ever touched has failed, been engulfed in scandal, resulted in massive investigations, litigation, financial ruin, prison, or death. The final stage of any Hillary enterprise is a grand announcement that Hillary did not technically break the law. That's the triumph of Hillary, that she did not technically break the law, or no one can prove she did, or even if she did, no one ever gets prosecuted for it. She's prone to coughing fits and lapses of memory in the middle of speeches. She falls down all the time. But that's not nearly as important as the media's manufactured story about Trump throwing a baby out of a rally. Trump is supposed to be joined at the hip to David Duke based on not disavowing him with sufficient ferocity the 17th time he was asked about this person he's never met, never mentioned, and didn't invite to speak at his convention. Hillary invited the mother of violent cop-hating criminal Mike Brown to speak at her convention, and the Democratic platform expressly endorses the anti-police Black Lives Matter, 
even as these celebrated cop haters inspire the mass slaughter of police officers across the country in New York City, Dallas, and Baton Rouge. All of this is true. I mean, this this thing is true, you know, that, that Trump gets up and he gives this speech in which he says maybe Second Amendment people can do something about Hillary Clinton, and it's interpreted, I think, perfectly reasonably reasonable as a joke about assassinating Hillary Clinton, which it obviously was. It's a joke you shouldn't make if you're a responsible per- person. There are crazy people out there. They do have guns. They will kill people. You don't make that joke. But, but... On stage at the Democrat convention, there are these cop haters whose children were thugs, whose children were criminal, being lauded as the mothers of the movement as if these are important people because they got to kowtow to the Black Lives Matter people before doing absolutely nothing for them, before continuing to destroy their cities, continuing to destroy their lives, their jobs. So you've got this this bizarre situation where Trump... Is, he, he is a character. He didn't disavow David Duke. You know, that, that was an ugly moment. His supporters are, these alt-right supporters, are flaming anti-Semites. They're, I Believe me, I get their tweets. I get their messages. I know what they're saying. These are horrible, hateful people. He goes out of his way to wink and nod at them. That's a terrible thing to do. Remember, if he wants to be president, he's going to be president of all the people, even the evil Jews, who are, you know, <laughs> some of the, the best and most productive people in the country. But, you know... He's going he's gonna to have to be president of everybody and all these hate groups that he doesn't turn away because he knows they're some of his core support. So he is doing these awful things. But reality, reality is campaigning against Hillary Clinton. Reality is campaigning against Hillary Clinton. Everything what Ann says is true. Everything she's touched has turned to crap. And everything Obama has done, I mean, this is this is the weird situation we're in where Barack Obama, who is loved, I mean, he has really high approval ratings, he has screwed up everything. We talked yesterday a little bit about the fact that the Russians are flying missions into Syria out of Iran. And like just putting those words together should make, you know, newsmen who read that, you know, Russians are flying raids against Aleppo out of Iran. Their heads should just then explode. That should be the next thing that happens on a news report. A guy should say, you know, the Russians have been flying raids into Syria out of Iran. You know, it should just be like this flame. But it all goes by the boards because we're talking about Steve Bannon. We're talking about him. You know, I mean, look, what has he got to do with the fact that Obama's deal with Iran that was supposed to bring them into line with us has brought them into line with one of our worst enemies and one of humanity's worst enemies, the Russians, who have been stepping on the human throat for a century now, and if not more, and are now in league with the worst terrorist state in the world, the, the biggest supporter of terrorism. And the Arabs, because remember, folks, just like everywhere else, most of these people just want to live their lives. Most people, they want to sell their goods, make their money, raise their kids. That's almost what everybody wants to do, except for the people who have the energy and the evil to get involved in politics and try to run other people. So all these Arabs, they're helpless. They're absolutely unarmed because we're not there. The only defense that good people in the Middle East ever had is Israel and us, and we aren't there. And so Iran and Russia are taking over that, are going to take over that uh, area because of Obama's recklessness and stupidity and his one-sidedness. Oh my goodness, already we've run out of time for Facebook, but we're going to continue talking about this and talk about comedy and uh, the way that the left dominates the entertainment industry. Come on over to The Daily Wire.
charge. Okay, so let's get back to, I'm sorry, I can't help it. Every time I hear that, I just have this urge to charge the Russian guns. Um, okay, so we're talking about uh, what's happening there and, of course, the collapse of Obamacare. Uh, Aetna announced it's withdrawing two-thirds of its Obama coverage. This is a massive insurance company. That's the third largest insurer. And, of course, the left is blaming Aetna. What they're saying is that Aetna wanted to uh, buy Humana. They wanted to uh, merge with Humana. And the Justice Department is trying to block them. And it's true. What Aetna said is we can't afford both to fight the Justice Department and to lose all this money in Obamacare. Because, you know, the, the insurers made a devil's deal with Obama over this. They sat down. Obama was demonizing them, the evil insurance companies. And most people don't know how insurance works, right? Insurance is a bet you're making against yourself. You're giving them money saying that in case I get sick, you will give me all this money back. And they're betting you're going to live a normal lifetime and they're going to collect a lot more money than they have to pay out. That's the bet. That's how they make money. And so when Obama would say, these evil people, they throw you out if you have a pre-existing condition, that's asking them to make a bet that's already lost. That's asking them to pay, you know, to say, yes, yes, you'll live to be 80, even though you're one week away from death. You know, we're going to make, that's a good business model for us. So they, so what Obama said to them is, look, I'm going to force people to buy your insurance, so it's going to be great. I'm going to shovel all these people into your insurance company, so even the fact that you're going to be supporting these people who are already sick is going to pay for itself. And they said, okay, well, it's better than having the President of the United States get up every day and talk about how we're evil. You know, that was bad for business. So they signed on to this thing, and of course it doesn't work because the people who are signing on to Obamacare are the sick people and the old people and the young people who still don't care whether they're insured or not because they're going to live forever. They're, you know, they're not doing this. And of course the rich people aren't doing it either, so they're losing money as we said they would, as anybody with any sense said this was going to happen. All right. So they are depending all the time on your ignorance. They're now depending for you to think like, oh, Aetna, evil Aetna. They're you know, fighting the Justice Department as if they have no right to merge their business, to buy businesses without the Justice Department coming down their neck. And as if they have some obligation to lose money for you. You know, well, this is socialism. It's actually, it's fascism. I mean, fascism is where the government doesn't take over businesses. It just tells them what to do. So then when it goes, this is exactly how fascism works. Obama takes over Aetna. Then when it says, I can't do this anymore, he blames Aetna. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, it's my fault for creating the system that doesn't work. It's always the businesses. That's why fascists don't take over businesses, because they can always demonize them when things go wrong, when their big government programs go wrong. They depend on your ignorance, but they also create your ignorance, because you know, we're all busy. We all have stuff to do. We glance at the newspaper. We read the headlines. The New York Times arranges its headlines to tell a story. They don't worry about the text of the story because they know you're not reading it. They just arrange the headlines to tell you the story, evil Trump, evil Republicans, all that stuff. But it's also this entertainment industry, the entertainment industry, which is where a lot of people get their information. A lot of information comes from comedians on TV, talk show hosts, Sell, you know, making jokes about people. It used to be these guys came out, even Jay Leno did this, Jay Leno did it, Johnny Carson back in the way, way old days, would come out and they'd make a joke about the right and they'd make a joke about the left. That's all over. All of these guys, all of these guys are now on the left, every single one of them. I mean, you, you know, it started with Jon Stewart, Stephen Colbert, John Oliver, Bill Maher, Seth Meyers, Trevor Noah, Jimmy Fallon, Samantha Bee. I, you know, I read them off a page. I, every single one of them is left wing. And, and they're also not funny. They are not funny. Larry Wilmore's Nightly Show, which is the show that comes on after the show, The Daily Show, which used to be Jon Stewart's, is now Trevor Noah's. His show just got canceled. 
And he comes out. He, he's not, the guy's not funny, and nobody's watching him, okay? And he says, he, he says, I'm saddened and surprised we won't be covering this crazy election or the unblackening, as we've coined it. The unblackening is happening in my time slot as well because Larry Wilmore is faintly brown or something. So somehow this... So the idea is that this is bias at work as opposed to... Take a look at at, uh, Larry Wilmore on The Nightly Show. Uh, This is the routine people are hearing every night from all of these guys. Funny story. A couple weeks ago, we were all saying, man, Trump just criticized the family of a fallen soldier? What? There's no way he could do anything worse than this. (laughs) He did. Hillary wants to abolish, essentially abolish... The Second Amendment. If she gets to pick her judges, nothing you can do, folks. Although the Second Amendment people, maybe there is, I don't know. Yep, that's right. Donald Trump not so subtly hinting that gun rights activists should do something about Hillary Clinton. Really? You're joking about your political opponent being whacked. Okay, guys, I used to think rational, well-intentioned people could be on opposite sides of the aisle and intelligent intelligently debate the merits of both governing philosophies. But you know what? At this point, if you vote for Trump, you're just a dick. <laughs> Seriously. So aside from not being funny, it's just not, it's just not that funny. I mean, it's funny. It's, it's, what, it's what the comedians call living room funny. Like anybody can be funny in a living room, but when you stand up with a camera in your face and a microphone, it's not as easy. But he's telling you that you are illegitimate. If he said, I used to think that there were two sides to the story. Now I know there's not. And if you think that's not, you know, I I have a pal, Bruce Feirstein, who uh, wrote some of the, he wrote some of the very big comic books of, uh, comedy books, not comic books, but comedy books of like the 70s and 80s, uh, like Real Men Don't Eat Quiche. And uh, uh, there there were a couple others. And he was involved with all of them. He wasn't always the first author on them. And then he went on to write the the James Bond films with Pierce Brosnan. And he once said to me, you know, comedy takes no prisoners, meaning that it really doesn't have a side. But here's an interview that John Stewart did when he was just beginning. He did it with Larry King, in which uh, someone called in and asked the question, you know, how do you, how do you make fun of both sides? And he basically says, I don't. And listen carefully to where he places himself. I was wondering, is it hard to make political jokes and not be on, like, either side? You can't uh, be for either side when you're... No, that's not, that's not true. I mean, I think you... you most people can't hide their political... I think you're a Democrat, John. I think that's probably correct. I think I, I would say I'm more of a socialist or an independent. But yeah, I mean, I, no one would ever, I think, watching our show, think that, uh, boy, that guy's just leaning but so far right. So he's telling, not only is he saying he's a socialist, which he is, he's sta- saying he's a socialist, but he's telling you that he's not going to be your entertainer. He is not, you know, that's what he's saying. Like, Bob Hope was a Republican, but he made jokes about everybody, you know. He's saying, no, no, that's over. That is over. That's just like it's over in the news. It's over in the academy. It's over in in entertainment. It's over. They are not doing that anymore. Now, the politics comes first. The entertainment has become a vehicle for the politics. And this is a kind of enforced ignorance because most of us are ingesting more entertainment than information. Most of us are ingesting our information with entertainment. And even if we don't want to be ingesting an attitude with our entertainment, we are, okay? And I want you to hear Bill Maher especially because I actually have a lot of respect for Maher. And the reason I have respect for Maher is he's a free speech guy and he brings on conservatives, at least he used to. I haven't watched him recently, but he used to bring on Andrew Breitbart. He used to bring on Ann Coulter. They were friends. 
And you could hear a conservative, and yes, the audience was booing him and he was taunting him and all that, but at least the guy was there. And he has spoken up against Islam as a, a font of bad ideas, and he believes in the West. He does. But take a listen to this interview where he basically expl explains very clearly his view of America. Politicians will always say, if we only had a government as good as the people. Well, our big problem is that we do have exactly a government as good as the people. Our, our, our democracy is very representative. I mean, we get to choose these people, and these are the people we put into office. So it does come back to the people. They're, com they're very easily fooled, and they're horribly misinformed about everything. And the people who watch Fox News live in a bubble I can't even describe to you. They have, the facts never get in. It, it's like the airlock in an alien movie, you know, where you pause it. Just pause it right there for a minute. Who's, who's in a bubble? Who is surrounded by information that confirms their point of view all day long? Let me tr tell you something. If you watch Fox News, trust me, trust me, you're still hearing the liberal sensibility. You're hearing it in comedy. You're seeing it in the movies. You're seeing it on any news show, any documentary that gets on TV. Fox News, it, it, it skews right in its commentary, but that Brett Baer show is the only honest news show on television. It's the only pure you know, information show on television. It's like a little little keyhole of light that comes in where you get to hear the other side. Who covered up Fast and Furious? Who covered up the IRS? Who holds these stories down? The Justice Department, the politicization of the Justice Department. It's all in, in Mars bubble, not in ours. You know, we can't help but hear what these guys think. They can shut off Fox News and suddenly everybody goes quiet. Let's hear the rest of it can't let the alien in or else you have to blow up the ship uh, that's really the situation we have in this country is is you 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 have a hard time uh, passing legislation that means something if people don't understand what's in it they still don't understand what's in Obamacare they still don't know what that is and we passed that three years ago so this is there's this intellectual impasse that's going on is there a way around it well not a quick fix I mean I think it would start with education but we don't really concentrate on that in this country. We don't have a, a sense in this country that it's every, it's, uh, we're all in it together. It's, it's an every man for himself philosophy that governs this country much more than most other Western democracies. Um, and that's not a good thing for a country because every country, asked, every modern country is now a quasi-socialist country. That's not a dirty word, but in America, when you say socialist, you know, most people, they don't know what it means. They just, they know it's something super bad like pedophilia or atheism or something like that, mm -hmm. just something we can't. Meanwhile, they do nothing but take money from the government. So, so for, first of all, that's a bogus argument, by the way. That's like people who, uh, black guys who oppose affirmative action, and then they say to them, well, you got into college by affirmative action. That's how socialism corrupts you. Nobody turns down free stuff. I, I don't turn down free stuff. You take it, but you can still say it's wrong. You can still say, take it away, take it off. Because, what, you know, what's, what is a black guy going to do if he gets accepted into Harvard? That's a good deal for him. But he still may oppose the system that gave it to him instead of to a white guy who was more deserving. He still may oppose that philosophically. So that's a bogus argument. But it's also this, you are so stupid, you don't even know how wonderful Obamacare is, and we passed it three years ago, and now it's collapsing, and Bill Maher doesn't know because he's living in a bubble. Let me show you this wonderful video that our pal Steve Crowder did about gun control, because the entire idea, it's about common sense gun control, and he takes out a stand, and he starts talking to people about gun control, and, and first, he 
asks them, do you own a gun? And if they say yes, he says, well, we can't talk to you. We don't want to talk to you. You have to be ignorant. You have to be ignorant for us to sell you our thing. So here's, here's just a clip of this. When getting gun control pushed through, it's very important to make sure that the people on board are not firearm owners or if, just better if they've never even seen a gun. That's how you get the signatures. Do you have like a sliding scale of what you think should be okay to own versus what's unreasonable? What would be fine versus what the government needs to step in and ban? Well, maybe like the hunting ones are pretty normal, right? right? Okay, like so those, yeah. Like no, those would, like so somebody need to own that. Right, does anything pop out at you? Probably the uh, two on the right. Those you'd say like people don't need that? Those don't matter. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say not the, the scary black ones? And anything yeah, yeah. But something like this? No. No, something like this? No. Illegal? Illegal. Illegal. This? No. No. And this? No. no one needs, you know, something like an AK and AR. No, fully automatic. Right, but maybe maybe something like this, like a 30 yacht, something like this. I don't think so. Okay, so that, but that 22, we're good. Yeah. Okay, something like this, a hunting rifle. Yes. Yeah. Well, the wood and the metal. Yeah. Hunting rifle. Uh, something like this, another hunting rifle. Sure. 30 yacht six hunting rifle. I'm fine with that. Fine with that. Your basic lever action 357. Yeah, you can only get 13 rounds on that. Right off the bat, everybody had strong opinions and feelings, but how much do these experts actually know about firearms? If anything... Well, I don't know what that is. <laughs> that's an Uzi. Well, no one needs a fully semi-automatic weapon. Careful, careful. You never know when firearms can just, you know, do their thing. <laughs> you never know, they might just go off. <laughs> so he's just showing you that people are making these decisions based on pure emotion with absolute conviction. And that is the ignorance they are basically putting forward. You know, there was an article in Tablet by a liberal, a very left-wing person, Jesse Bernstein, wrote that this culture of ridicule gave us Trump. I think, it's, I think Jesse is a female, I think. Because gave them the idea that they were better than us. And they're absolutely right. The article says the process went something like this. Someone said something on Fox News that mainstream liberalism didn't like. Stewart and or Colbert aired a sustained critique of the idea and the thinking behind it. Liberal internet publications hailed it as the greatest rhetorical victory since Darrow argued for scopes. Liberals' Facebook feeds full of liberal friends filled up with clips of the takedown. No one learned anything. No one engaged with an idea. And nothing outside of a very specific set of ideas was given any real credence. The bell goes off in a liberal head. You know, it's your bubble. It's not ours. Believe me, we know what you think. We can't help learning what you think. The ignorance is all on your side and being enforced by your comedians, by your movie makers, by your academies who ban Shapiro when he goes on to speak because they can't let that information in. It's an enforced bubble of enforced ignorance. And the liberals are the ones who are living in it, not us. Not us. All right. The Clavenless Weekend begins. Stuff I like. I'm going to play for you my favorite hymn. This is the hymn I asked my wife to play at my funeral, and she went, when, when? No, no. <laughs> Hopefully it won't be for a long time, but when it comes, I hope you'll all sing this song, How Can I Keep From Singing? It was written in 1868 by a Baptist minister. People think it's a traditional hymn, but it's actually not. My life flows on an endless song above earth's lamentation. I hear the sweet, though far-off hymn that hails a new creation. Through all the tumult and the strife, I hear the music ringing. It finds an echo in my soul. How can I keep from singing? How indeed all will be well, all will be well, and all manner of things will be well. Here's Enya's version of How Can I Keep From Singing. My life goes on in endless song Above earth's lamentation 
All right, the Clavenless weekend begins. Gird your loins. Monday will come, I think. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. We will see you then.